Our scripture reading today is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the councils of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together, friends. Uh, Father, we do come uh, before you this morning to praise you for your goodness. We thank you for being a good father who gives good gifts to his children. We thank you for being a good creator who makes everything good in its time and in its season. We thank you for being a good savior who desires all to be saved and come to a knowledge of your truth. And we thank you that every good and perfect gift that comes from above comes from your very own hands. And so in response, God, we want to offer our lives back to you. We want to be good servants of Christ. So, Father, speak to us yet again of these things. Teach us, immerse our hearts and minds in your good truth and train our hands for godliness so that we might bring you all the glory. We pray these things in your name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, friends. Thanks, team. You know, for as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be good. I wanted to be good. Maybe it's because I'm the firstborn, right, in my family. Maybe that, right, if you've got kids, you know that, right? The firstborn's typically the one that follows all the rules. That was, that was me. Maybe it's how my parents raised me. They raised me to be a, a good young man, an upstanding young man. Maybe that's just how God wired me. I, whatever it is, there is just something down deep inside um, that drives me to be good, Growing up, I was a good boy. Again, I was the guy that followed all the rules, didn't want to let anybody down. Um, I was a good student. I breezed through high school. I uh, was, a, was a good athlete. I played football and lacrosse and got to play in college. I was a good singer. I got to, got to sing in the lead production at our church of Godspell. I got to sing in college in an acapella group. I was even a good boy scout. I, I achieved the rank of eagle by 14. So I, I was a good, good young man. But despite all my best efforts and all my achievements, down deep inside, I always felt like I wasn't good enough. And uh, there was a well of insecurity, really, at the core of my being, and a spiritual emptiness that I didn't become aware of, not, not until I got to college. And at CU, I was quickly exposed. My life was a house of cards. Everything I had built 
uh, started crumbling down around me. My grades tanked. I hurt my knee my freshman year, couldn't play lacrosse. I was a terrible employee at my campus job, often, you know, sort of skipping work to sleep in or, you know, or to drink with my, with my buddies. Um, I wasn't a very good friend of them either, and so life got pretty lonely, frankly, at times. And after spending a summer in Maine after my freshman year where things only got worse, I arrived back on campus resolved to do better, to be a good person. But sadly, not much changed. No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't get myself out of the rut that I had fallen into. And that's when I met Jesus. It was the winter in 1993, and he stopped me in my tracks outside of the Dalton Trumbo Fountain near the UMC on campus, and my life has never been the same. But here's the thing. Though I was now saved, I fell into the same trap. (laughs) You know, I, I was trying to be good right before I met Christ, and now I wanted to be a good Christian. So I started reading my Bible and praying every day, and I made sure never to miss Bible study or our campus fellowship or church on Sundays. I served, I volunteered, I got accountability to help me with my drinking and pornography issues. I evangelized the campus. I even went across the street to the Mormon ward where they met and asked to meet with them, right? Wasn't going to wait for them to come to me. I'm going to come to you and bring the God. You know, that was my thing, right? I was going to be the best Christian I could possibly be. And this pattern stuck with me until about two or three years into my first pastorate uh, in Mobile, Alabama. I arrived at that little church at age 29, about 80 folks, all of, almost all of whom were in their 60s or older. And, you know, when I asked them where they saw the church in 10 years, here I am, like, fresh out of seminary, so excited to get started in ministry. You know, about half of them said, well, we'll probably have a for sale sign out front. I'm like, man, that would have been great to know during the interview. <laughs> anyway, but... Um, I was determined to make sure that didn't happen, right? Not on my watch. After all, I wanted to be a good pastor, okay? So I worked hard, and I led every committee and planned and attended every event and pushed them to get engaged in God's mission. And guess what? It worked, right? The church began growing and got younger, and all kinds of awesome things were happening, and there was a lot of excitement and energy. But, man, I was burning out. All this struggle and striving to be good was catching up to me. I was exhausted. I was trying so hard to be a good pastor that I wasn't being a very good husband to my wife or a very good father to my kids. Again, it just seemed no matter how hard I tried, it just wasn't good enough. I was always letting someone down. There just wasn't enough of me to go around. Ever feel that way? Yeah. And uh, that's when I went to see a counselor, someone who specialized in treating pastors because we are notoriously liars when it comes to our own issues. And uh, he helped me see that goodness is not something that I produce on my own, right? It is the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives. It is drawn from the presence of Christ who lives inside us. Now, I imagine that many of you might have a similar story to tell. After all, Douglas County is full of very successful, high-achieving folks, people who excel in so many areas of life. And I know my story resonates because I've spent time with a lot of you. We've had coffee at Fika, or we've gone out for a drink over at the tailgate, and I know you want so badly to be good, right? Good at marriage, good at parenting, good at friendships, good in your work, good at life. I get it. I do too. And so what I want to do for us this morning is open God's Word, and I want to show you how to find the goodness 
that your heart is longing for, the goodness that I found all those years ago. So if you've got your Bibles or Bible apps, go ahead and open up to the passage that Joel just read for us, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says to his young protege, Timothy, starting in verse 6. He says this, If you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus? Come on, raise your hands, okay? I know, come on. I mean, if you don't want, what are you doing here? Right? You're in the wrong place. Did you just show up in the wrong spot this morning? Okay, right? You know, if you put these things before the church, before the family of God, Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And that's what we all want, to be good servants of Christ. And and so what do we think Paul's talking about here? What, What are the things that he is referring to? Well, he's talking about what Pastor Gary shared last week. He's talking about the mystery of the gospel. He's talking about the mystery of godliness. He's talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is where our goodness comes from, friends. It's not something that we manufacture. It's not deposits that we make in some eternal bank by doing good deeds. It's not some kind of favor that we earn with God by being upstanding moral people. No, goodness is something that can only flow from Jesus Christ because Jesus is the essence of goodness. Amen? Yeah. He is the wellspring of goodness. He is the goodness of God that literally dwells inside us. And it is only as we tap into Christ that we receive the power to live the good life, which by the Bible's definition is a life lived for God. It's a life lived for God. You see, one of the the many problems we've got in our culture today is that we have divorced goodness from God. We've divorced goodness from God. We think we can be good apart from God. We believe goodness to be a separate sort of independent philosophical or moral category all its own. And so we affirm the goodness of serving those who are less fortunate, the goodness of delivering a meal to someone who's grieving or hurting or recovering from surgery, the goodness of a kind word or a generous act or a a, a nice gesture. And while those things do indeed have a quality of goodness about them, after all, Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.4, everything created by God is good if they are not done in thankfulness to Him, if they are not done out of gratitude to Him, if they are not done in praise and glory to Him, that we are just engaged in irreverent silliness that has no enduring eternal quality about it. Right? It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It, it, just, it just goes to dust. And God wants us to be good servants, but to truly be good servants, we must be good servants of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it means to be good. And that means everything that we do, whether in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's Colossians 3, 17. So if that is true, then, um, that goodness is intrinsically connected to God, intrinsically connected to Christ, then how do we learn to tap the well of, that is Christ inside us? How do we train ourselves to connect to Christ? How do we train ourselves for this goodness, this godliness? And Paul uses those words sort of interchangeably in this passage. Well, look again what Paul tells Timothy. He says, if you put, again, these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness in every way Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise not only for the present life, 
but for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You know, like I shared with the kids this morning, the spiritual life takes as much practice as anything else. I mean, right, you can be the, the greatest athlete in the world, and guess what? There will come a day when your ability to do that will end. You could be the greatest musician in the world, and there will come a day when you will not be able to play as well as you once did, and that season will come to an end. But when we talk about godly things, there is no end to it. Right? We will be doing this for all eternity, practicing godliness, practicing our goodness. All right? And so the spiritual life takes as much practice as anything else. So when you're raising little Jack, right, you're going to be teaching him, training him, helping him to become the godly man that I know you guys desire him to be. And guess what? We're going to be doing that right alongside them. It's not just Tom and, and Lauren's job. It's all of us coming together, coming alongside that little guy to teach him how to know and love Jesus because you don't just stumble in to a relationship with Christ. Amen? Like that's not just something that you sort of fall into or, or, or receive by osmosis or dumb luck or coincidence. It takes time and intentionality. Just like any relationship, you have to work at it. You have to put some effort into it. And you get out of it what you put into it on some level. I can't tell you the number of times that I've talked to someone over the years who told me that they felt distant from God. And in almost every case, I can predict what comes next. They spend very little time in God's Word. They rarely pray. They hardly ever show up for worship with God's people. And when they do, they don't participate much. They don't have a lot of close Christian friends. They never serve. They give little, if anything, to the work of the kingdom. It is almost textbook. All right? And, and, and sure, they got all kinds of reasons why, and, and some of those reasons might even sound valid. But the bottom line is relationships take work. Relationships take sacrifice. Relationships have their peaks, their valleys, their ups and downs. It's the same in our relationship with God. And that's why we got to continually train ourselves for godliness if we want a close relationship with God. we got to train ourselves for goodness if we want to be good servants of Jesus Christ. And so what then do we train on? What's our training regimen? Paul goes on, he says, you train yourself in the word of God. You, 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 or the words of faith and good doctrine, as he puts it in this passage, we immerse ourselves in God's Word on a regular basis. That's why we do things like the Bible in a year here at Pepsi. It's why we run Bible studies throughout the year that you can be part of. It's why we encourage our small groups to get into God's Word because we want to help train you to be a more godly man or woman. We want you to learn how to turn from your sin and become like Christ and to, and to take that message then out to the world. We want you to tap into that eternal source of goodness that is Christ within you so that your inner life and outer life begin to, to go together. Okay? And as you train yourself in God's word and, and you train yourself on good doctrine, guess what? You're going to be able to more easily discern truth from error. You're not going to have anything to do with irreverent, silly myths. You're not going to have anything to do with the crazy conspiracy stuff that goes on on social media. You're not going to have anything to do with the partisan lies that show up on cable news week after week after week or day after day after day. You're going to be able to see through all of that. You're going to be able to see through the lies of the enemy, the lies that our culture tells us about who we are and what life is all about, and you're going to instead cling to the truth of God. Yeah. And then finally, you're going to develop discipline. And discipline is not legalism. Again, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, not the result of your own effort. Legalism is ultimately self-centered. It's about you. 
Right? Discipline is God-centered. The legalist says in their heart, I'm doing this to gain favor with God. I'm doing this to show that, you know, God, I'm a good person, that I deserve your love, that I deserve to get into heaven, right? While the one engaged in godly discipline says, no, no, Lord, I know you love me, and so I'm doing this out of gratitude for what you have already done for me. Okay, that's the difference. Another way we train ourselves to be good servants of Jesus Christ, according to Paul in this passage, is we intentionally submit ourselves to godly teaching. Listen to how Paul describes it. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's why we read the Scriptures out loud week after week after week here. Exhortation, teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all might see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching and persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, I remember when I was, uh, after that first year, I was at that little church in Mobile. They threw this huge party. Lots of great food, lots of great fellowship. Uh, Everyone in the church showed up. It was awesome. I thought to myself, man, they must really think I am a good pastor. They must really think I'm doing well. Turns out they were just excited I had turned 30. And they could say now their pastor was in his 30s, right? You know, they didn't want a pastor in their 20s, right? Someone in their 30s, right? So anyway, (laughs) let no one look down on you in your youth. That was a passage I preached frequently there. Anyway, whatever, right? Timothy was probably in his 30s as well when he was sent to Ephesus. And the task that he took on could not have been easy. That church was struggling with false teaching. Um, There were several leaders in that church that had gotten off track. No search committee had called Timothy. No congregation had voted for Timothy. There's no indication anywhere in the scriptures that anyone in Ephesus actually wanted Timothy there. All right? In fact, it appears from the tone of these two letters that Timothy himself might not have been all that excited to be there. Timothy was timid by nature. His anxiety and fear gave him chronic stomach problems. His age was a handicap in a culture where elders were held in high esteem. And I'm sure there were times when Timothy questioned his mentor's wisdom in sending him to Ephesus. And it probably would have been tempting for Timothy to, when when facing the challenge of leading this church and making the necessary changes and confronting those who were being disruptive or pressing their own agendas to become defensive, to take things personal, to pull rank, use his pastoral authority to get his own way, to try and control others by building up a faction of support among the most influential and powerful. But Paul points him in a different direction. Rather than play all the political games that you can play, and the church can be just as political as any other organization, right, in the world, amen? Right, I mean, so that can happen, right? But rather than do all of that, he says, he says no, 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 put all that aside. Here's what you do. You, you set an example, Timothy. You set an example. You show them what it looks like to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Let your manner of life bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Know that you you never get to punch out when it comes to your speech and conduct. You never get to take a day off when it comes to godliness. You never get to take a vacation from your faith. You are always teaching others by the way that you live, the way that you love the way that you serve, the way you keep yourself pure. And this is true for us as well, friends, right? 
It doesn't matter whether you're on the soccer field or in the classroom, at the grocery store or the gas station, at work or at play, engaged with friends and family, or hanging out by yourself. Young or old, doesn't matter, no matter what your background or faith experience has been. We gain credibility for what we teach by the way we live. Amen? Yeah. And it's why anyone here has full permission to confront me. If you see me getting off track, you can come talk to me. Right? It's why our elders watch our manner of life here closely as pastors. And, and though I may not necessarily agree with you, I promise I will do my best to listen, to take what you share seriously, because I recognize that my manner of life teaches far more effectively than any words I could possibly say here on a Sunday morning. But teaching is still important, right? Don't, don't fall into that trap of thinking like, you know, What's the old saying, right? You know, preach the gospel at all times, but if necessary, use words. No, you've got to do both, okay? Good teaching is important. And so Paul goes on to encourage Timothy, don't just do this by the manner of life. Actually teach the gospel. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Now, the public reading of Scripture was nothing new. The Jewish people have been practicing it for centuries, and the early Christians adopted that practice as well. But Scripture was not just to be read. It needed to be explained. All right? Timothy was called to preach the Word. He was called to preach the Bible, okay? to teach what God has said, to teach God's commands. He was not there to share his opinion. He was not there to provide social or political commentary. He was not there to give moral instruction. He was not there to give the Ephesians five steps to a better marriage or you know, tell them how to gain their best life now. That's not the task of a good servant of Jesus Christ. Now, the last thing we need as God's people is more self-help. Amen? Right? I mean, that's like the worst advice you can get, you know, how to help yourself. I, I, I can't help myself at all, right? I need Jesus' help. All right, and so we need God's word, and good servants of Jesus Christ teach God's word and only God's word. Paul also encourages Timothy to, to exercise his spiritual gifts, and we don't have time to sort of unpack these, this, this last kind of section here, but exercise his spiritual gifts. He challenges Timothy to engage in regular and pretty ruthless self-examination. That's verse 16. Finally, he pushes Timothy to persevere in his faith and in godly teaching so that all might see his progress. As a good servant of Jesus Christ, that's verses 15 and 16. And friends, these words are not just for pastors. They're not just for people engaged in professional ministry. They're not just for leaders in the church. They're for anyone who would be a follower of Jesus Christ, anyone who longs to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So set an example. Teach the gospel. Exercise your spiritual gifts. Practice regular self-examination. Persevere in your faith. As we do these things, we encourage each other. As we do these things, we learn from one another. We grow together as believers. And by doing so, Paul says, we save not only ourselves, but those around us. I mean, I think about the conversations I have had over the years at, at places like FICA or like the tailgate. The number of times people have come up to me to let me know they've been watching me. And they've been listening to what I've been talking about. And they've been watching how I interact with others. And because I do pay close attention to my conduct and my speech, and because I do try my best to set an example of love and faith and purity, they find themselves drawn to the gospel. They want to know more about this Jesus. And what's true for me is just as true for you. Be a good servant of Jesus Christ in all you say and do, friends. Amen? Yeah. Let me ask the worship team to come back up. 
Our children will be joining us here in a moment as well for our final song. And as they do, let me just share one final thing with you this morning. And friends, this, this is perhaps the most important. So if you don't walk away with anything else, walk away with this, okay? The most important thing you can do to be a good servant of Jesus Christ is to set your mind and heart on God. The most important thing you can do to to be a good servant of Jesus Christ is to set your heart and mind on the risen Christ and all He has accomplished for you. To place your trust in His finished work. To believe on His saving death. To place your faith in His life, death, and resurrection. It is not us who overcomes the world. It is Christ. It's not us who wins the victory, friends. It is Christ. It is not us who will reign in triumph. It is Christ. I love how Paul puts it in verse 10. He says, for to this end we toil and we strive. Meaning, like we sweat blood towards this end because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What does it mean then to set our hope on the living God? It means believing He is with you always, even to the end of the age. Believing He dwells inside you always, even to the end of the age. Believing that He is at work within you always, even to the end of the age. Shaping you into the good servant of Jesus Christ that He created you to be and His promise is sure. He will bring to completion the good work He has begun in you. Our hope is not wishful thinking, friends. We don't place our hope in a philosophy or or some sort of moral code or human progress. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the living God, the Son of God who became flesh and blood and made His dwelling place on earth. Our hope is in the risen Christ, the one who conquered sin and death, the one who's praised among the angels, Paul says, and proclaimed throughout the earth, the one who's been given all authority and even now sits at the right hand of the Father, even as he dwells in each one of our hearts. This is the God, friends, that we worship and adore. This is the God whom we love and serve. And so if you're struggling this morning, or if you don't feel worthy enough to be a good servant, or if you're hurting this morning, maybe you've tried to be a good servant and you've gotten beaten up in the process, man, that happens. Or maybe you're confused this morning, you're doubting, you're struggling with your faith and you've done your best and it just doesn't seem like it's good enough. Friends, let Christ be your strength. Let Christ be your peace. Let Christ be your wisdom. Let Christ be your living hope. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that all that we are and all that we have is ours because of the grace you have poured out on us in your Son. We bring nothing to the table, God, but ourselves, our broken, beaten, bruised selves and The great news of the gospel is that you take us in your arms and you heal us and you hold us and you promise to do something inside us, God, that we cannot do for ourselves. You promise to make us new. And so, Father, as you are fulfilling that promise, even now, even this morning, among those who have gathered here or at home and joined us for worship, God, we pray that you would give us all a gospel confidence, not a self-confidence, a gospel confidence rooted and grounded in Jesus himself, that we might go forth to live as good servants, servants who proclaim the excellencies of your awesome and mighty and wonderful grace.
So we pray these things, God, in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing our final song, you guys.